0: Uh, before we jump in uh, to the passage itself, we're going to start the way we always start. We always start with the kids. Uh, let kids let you know what's going on here uh, in the passage and then what to expect from the sermon. So I'd like to start with some would you rather's. Kids, ready? Okay. Would you rather meet a famous person who is boring or a regular person who is hilarious? Spence. Cool. Sanders, what would you go with? Same. Really? No one wants to meet a boring, famous person? Yes. Paul, thank you. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Okay. Would you rather lose, not necessarily right or wrong answer, Just, just wondering. Would you rather lose the ability to cry or cry every day for 20 minutes randomly? Charlie. Randomly, that's awesome, Charlie. Sanders, lose the ability to cry, okay, okay, Richard. Lose the ability to cry, no random crying. Spence, you wanna go again? Okay, 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 I get that, I get that, and Charlie, I get, I I, I need to cry every now and then too, even if it's 20 minutes randomly. Okay, would you rather be the President of the United States for a day, or a billionaire for a day? (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh, how about this? Uh, ooh, this is a good one. We can be we can be vulnerable and honest here. Okay, kids. Would you rather always be the center of attention or always go unnoticed? Knee jerk. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Attention. All right. There you go. The Costinator <laughs> <laughs> Brothers. He gets the attention. He goes unnoticed. They're both cool with it. Uh, and that's not true. That's not how they but just okay. Uh, how about this? Would you uh, would you would you rather never get tired or never have to go to the bathroom? Never have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> okay. Never be tired, never be tired. Okay, good okay. split on that one too. Interesting. How about this one? Would you rather get a million dollars or have the Astros win that World Series? Both? No, 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 no. Would you rather? You guys. Okay. Would you, this is the last one, would you rather always do the right thing or the easy thing? The right thing. Right thing. Right thing? Y'all, that's awesome. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. We're going to be talking about that today. Uh, how about this? Would you, would you rather lose everything that you love and have Jesus... Or would you rather lose Jesus and have everything that you want? <laughs> Spence. To have Jesus. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome, y'all. It's this question of like what we're going to be looking at today is like what is Jesus worth to you? And here's the more important question. Here's the most important question for y'all. It's not what would you give up to have Jesus. It's this. What are you worth to Jesus? Richard nailed everything. You were worth everything to Jesus. You were worth his life. He gave up his life to give you life. He took your death on the cross so that you would not have to have that eternal death forever. He has given up everything for you because you are worth everything to Jesus. That is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We're in the Gospel of Mark this fall. Each Gospel has an artistic pattern to it, even as they all reveal that same Gospel message. But each Gospel writer likes to arrange it in a certain way to highlight certain awesome realities of the Gospel, we're making our way through the gospel of Mark this fall. We're coming to the end, and we're doing it according to his storytelling technique. And so what we've heard is we've heard conflict stories, parable stories, miracle stories, these kind of typical uh, a day in the life of Jesus stories, private stories between Jesus and his disciples. Uh, we've heard of Jesus, Jesus predicting his death stories, kind of all modeled around the temple. Now we get to the beginning of Mark's passion stories of Jesus. And we get that word passion from this Latin word that means to, to suffer. So, uh, so a passion story is a story that, that talks about, recounts the circumstances leading up to and including Jesus' crucifixion and suffering. So this is Mark's first passion story of Jesus. Please stand for the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, it was now two days before the Passover. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, easy to do, but let's not let's not pass over uh, that it's the Passover, one of the major holiday feasts in Israel. Passover, this is when this is happening. Passover celebrates Israel's freedom from slavery in Egypt. Remember, Moses says to Pharaoh, "God says, let my people go." The ten plagues, Israel gets freed. Okay, they're celebrating that, but at Passover they ju- they didn't just celebrate what had already happened. Passover is also a time of looking ahead, looking forward to an ultimate deliverance of God's people. And the irony is Jesus shows up proclaiming he is the long-awaited Messiah, there to deliver them. And verse 1 says the chief priests and scribes were seeking to arrest Jesus and kill him. More irony. Given that Jesus knows he's going to die very soon, and he knows that, look where he is. He's in Simon the leper's house. Do y'all know who Simon the leper is? Nobody does, because he's nobody. The son of God who knows he's going to die is spending his last hours with nobodies, his disciples, a leper, and a few other randos. And they think that they've gathered for just another normal Passover meal, time week when all of a sudden no one is having just another normal Passover week because a woman unnamed here comes to Jesus and she breaks a flask of ointment and and pours it all over Jesus's head now it's not weird that this woman anoints Jesus's head it was customary for honored guests to be anointed with oil or ointment at a dinner but She doesn't anoint Jesus with a customary drop of oil. She anoints him with an entire flask of ointment. The Gospel of John, talking about this same incident here, tells us that her flask contained a pound of ointment. And it's not just any flask. She breaks open an alabaster flask, a very, very expensive and ornate bottle. And she doesn't just anoint Jesus with any old common oil. She anoints him with pure nard. Nard is a flower. It's an ointment that comes from a flower from India. So only the wealthiest people had that kind of stuff. But this woman's not wealthy. And she's not prominent. And we know that because John tells us who this woman is. It's Mary, of Mary and Martha, of, uh, of Bethany, whose brother is Lazarus, who, Jesus, uh, who just died and Jesus came and raised him from the dead, this alabaster flask of pure nard—it's a family heirloom. it must be a fairly family heirloom—is like her savings account. So this is shocking. Shocking, but not in a good way to the disciples. They're mortified. They're enraged. Like first, they don't even talk to her at the beginning. Like when they see this happen, they talk about her in front of everyone, very condescendingly. Like you know, the adults are talking. And they angrily share their shock and disapproval of what she just did. Like, what a waste. Because the amount of that, they point this out, the amount of this very expensive nard is about 300 denarii, which is a year's wage. What what we could have done with that. What this could have done for the poor. This woman is hysterical. Like, she's being so, this is so melodramatic. And so, so wasteful, shamefully, painfully wasteful. Then they scold her to her face. And Jesus jumps in, and he scolds them, just as harshly as they're scolding her. He says, leave her alone. Jesus gets what she's doing and why she's doing it. She's been hearing Jesus' predictions about his death, and she gets it, and she believes him. She believes that he's come to Jerusalem to give his life, and time is almost up, and she wants to show her love and devotion to Jesus. So she, she wants to use her heirloom, her most prized possession, to prepare Jesus for death, to honor his death. Jesus tells the disciples to their face that she understands what's happening to him, and they don't. And, you know, more irony is everyone but criminals were anointed for burial, and Jesus is about to be executed as a criminal, dishonored by the Roman and, and Jewish authorities, but that's not what this woman believes about Jesus. And she, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, instead of scolding her, you should be praising her. Another uh, pastor, uh, Alistair Begg, put it like, he said it like this, like, Long after the deeds and titles of emperors and kings and presidents are completely buried, this beautiful, significant, and timely act will be remembered. Because the pathway to lasting honor is to honor Christ. She'll forever be remembered for her devotion to Jesus. What will the disciples be remembered for? There's this stark contrast here between, you know, what just came before, the chief priests and the scribes, and this faithful, unnamed woman disciple. And then she's contrasted with one of the 12 disciples, Judas. And at this moment, uh, the penny drops for Judas. As it, like Judas finally understands Jesus is not the king he thought he was. He's not bringing the kingdom that they have been hoping for. Jesus is not going to make the disciples powerful, respectable, successful, wealthy. And the other gospels tell us, about this incident, explicitly that it's Judas here who's, who's leading the charge. You know, they're all guilty of, th- of thinking this and, and talking about this woman like this, but, it, but who says, you know, he talks about his supposed devotion to the poor. That's what we should have been doing with this. And John's gospel tells us that Judas was outraged in this moment, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Judas had charged the money bag, and Judas stole from it all the time. And so as Judas looks down at his Passover meal... And then he looks around at the other disciples that are there. And then the others that are there he, that he's eating with, whose house they're in. And in the middle of this pitiful scene, this woman wastes a fortune on this, this loser, Jesus, who is now scolding them. And he's thinking, like, okay, Jesus doesn't know what he's doing. He's betrayed us. And Judas is sick. He's sick of it. He's sick of the poverty stuff. He's, he's sick of all this talk about serving and forgiveness. He's sick of the weakness of the kingdom. This woman is devoted to Jesus. Judas is disappointed in Jesus. The woman puts her devotion to Jesus on display with no talk. And Judas talks of devotion to the poor, but he's all talk because he steals from them because he's really just devoted to himself. The woman asks, what can I give to honor Jesus? Judas asks, what can I get from Jesus to honor myself? She's ready to sacrifice for Jesus. Judas is ready to sacrifice Jesus. She wants to honor Jesus' death. Judas wants to ensure Jesus' death. She loves Jesus. Judas loves Judas. She's heard the gospel, and she believes that Jesus loves her so much that he will die for her. Judas has heard the gospel and believes Jesus has betrayed him so much, he just wants Jesus to die. Jesus is the beginning and, and the end, the all and everything of this woman's devotion. Jesus is the threat to Judas's self-devotion. And so Jesus is worth everything to this woman. Jesus is not worth anything to Judas, nothing more than what we're told in other gospel accounts, 30 pieces of silver. This woman is remembered for her love and devotion. Judas is remembered for his unfaithfulness and betrayal. Maybe we could go on. and Jesus. She is with Jesus. This woman is now with Jesus in heaven forever. Judas is now away from Jesus forever in hell. It's that question of, was it worth it to the woman? Was it worth it to Judas? You know, in cost-benefit analysis, you know—it it can actually be really tricky. Edmund Pevensey, Chronicles, Narnia, uh, sold out his brother and sisters for Turkish delights, which are gross, anyways. Uh, Carter Burke Carter Burke sold out his colleagues for a xenomorph embryo, aliens. Human lives for scientific research. <coughs> Benedict Arnold surrendered West Point to the Brits for money in a general's commission. Faust, is from the play, Faust was... So bored, he sold his soul to the devil to be entertained. Yuli gave up his knee in Game Five in a rundown. Bregman broke his left index finger, stealing second base. Both got out. Maldonado played with a. We just found this out. Maldonado played with a broken hand and a hernia. And can you imagine swinging a bat and making contact with a 99 mile an hour fastball, and your hand is bro- like. Worth it to win a World Series? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, uh, and, and yeah, and we hope that that this stuff does not come at the cost of their families. Like, we really, really do hope that because we are seeing that happen. You know, it's tricky. It's, it's that thing where Dumbledore, he's, I'm not gonna try and spoil anything, but he's talking about Cedric Diggory. When, when Diggory faced Voldemort, and he chose what is right rather than what is easy. And so if you think about your life's hurts, could you say, could you say you're disappointed with the life that Jesus has given you? Sure. But has Jesus been worth it? As in, what if, what if someone offered to give you everything that Jesus has not given you? That career, that house, that spouse, a family, kids, health, money, that identity, the respect, that comfort, long life. Everything that Jesus has not given you, you can have if you'll leave Jesus. Would it be worth it? Or have all the disappointments and all the hurts to come, are they worth it? to have Jesus. Is Jesus worth it all? This unnamed woman, that's her question to us. And with Judas, again, we are told this in another gospel account, with Judas, he, he gets paid. He, he gets 30 pieces of silver. And you, think, you hear that, and you're like, whoa, okay, 30 pieces of silver, that sounds like Judas gets paid. So uh, like, it sounds like unnamed woman gives up a year's wage, and maybe Judas gets a year's wage. So that's, that's what Jesus is worth, and you take your pick. Well, in the Old Testament, in Exodus 21, it says, If your ox gores your slave to death, 30 pieces of silver is the statutory amount of compensation. 30 pieces of silver, which is not that much, is the bare cash value for a human slave. So when Judas shows up to sell Jesus out, the chief priests, they know they have the edge in this deal. So they offer Judas bottom dollar for Jesus, and Judas takes it. Judas does not get paid. There's this unnamed woman, and, and there's Judas, and the question to us is not, with Judas, it's not, will you give up Jesus for everything? It's the flip side of the coin. Will you give up Jesus for cheap? Like, will you give up Jesus for a moment of pleasure? Will you give up Jesus for just a little more comfort? Will you give up Jesus for just a little more me me time? Cost benefit of Jesus is is tricky like that. And and uh, I'm gonna I've used this illustration before. I debated. I got I'm gonna share this again. Um, I may share it every sermon series. There's a movie, small New Zealand film, about five years ago. Based, yes, yes, based on a book. Uh, the film is called Hunt for the Wilder People, written directed by Taika Waititi. It's an action-adventure action, comedy. Highly recommended. Okay, big blow right at the beginning of the film. A foster dad and his foster kid go to the funeral of the foster mom, beloved Bella, uh, which is being presided over by this seemingly inept minister who's uh, played by the film's writer and director, Taika Waititi. And this is his funeral sermon, and I am going to attempt uh, the accent. It'll be worth it. Uh, This is not going to be good. Um, You know, sometimes in life, it seems like there's no way out. and I'm going to go in and out of it. Like a sheep trapped in a maze designed by wolves. You know that if you're ever in that situation, there are always two doors to choose from. Through the first door. Oh, it's easy to get through that first door. And on the other side waiting for you, all the yummiest treats you could ever imagine. Fanta, Doritos, LMP, Burger Rings, Coke Zero. But you know what? There's also another door. Not the burger ring door, not the Fanta door, another door that's harder to get another door that's harder to get through. Guess what's on the other side? Anyone want to take a guess? And the foster kid guesses. And he says nervously, vegetables? <laughs> and the minister, slightly offended, says, No, not vegetables, no. And an old lady in the back says, Jesus? And the minister says, You would think Jesus. I thought Jesus the first time I come across that door. It's not Jesus. It's another door. Guess what's on the other side of that door? And the old lady again says confidently, Jesus. And the minister says, Jesus, yeah, it's Jesus. He's tricky like that, Jesus. So let us pray to Jesus. Please make it a bit easier to get through those doors to find you in your bounty of delicious confectionery. And then the organ begins to play. Y'all, I have heard terrible funeral sermons. That's not a terrible one. He's not wrong. You know, Judas, this line, the cost benefit analysis, Jesus, is is tricky like that. Judas' line that this money could have been given to the poor, the world, it's a lie, but it does capture what the world believes about the church. Like, the world doesn't expect much, any good from the church, except. The world expects the church to be socially pious, that we would give extravagantly to the poor, but not extravagantly to God, because who, who cares? He's not worth it. Uh, this is from one of my old professors, seminary professor, pastor, Gordon Hugenberger. He says about this, right here, he says, this is not about need, but worth. We live in a culture that has humanized God and divinized man. And we can't imagine anything more deserving than the poor or ourselves. And of course, we want to care for the poor among us. But right now in heaven, the New Testament says, myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands of angels in the host of heaven are saying with a loud voice about Jesus to Jesus, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. As in devotion is a good thing. Being devoted to your marriage, to your kids, to your parents, to your brothers and sisters, to your family, Uh, being devoted to your job, being devoted to caring for the poor, Uh, all those things, that, that is good. Being devoted to your church, those are good things. And Jesus, is he worthy of your ultimate and constant devotion? Is he worth everything to you in the big moments and in the small, everyday, mundane, boring moments of life? Is he worth the hurts and the disappointments? In those moments when you have failed in your devotion to Jesus, is it worth returning to him again and again and again and again again in devotion? This woman, she's, she's not on fire for Jesus. Judas didn't just snap. One is devoted to Jesus and the other is devoted to himself. And the focus here is actually not on either of their devotion. Mark's focus here is on Jesus's devotion. Because it sounds like Mark begins his stories about Jesus's passion with a story about some unnamed woman's passion for Jesus. But this is not first and foremost about the unnamed woman's devotion, which is why she's unnamed here. It's about Jesus. Uh, Jesus knows the chief priests and the scribes are conspiring to murder him. He knows it. Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him. Jesus knows all of this, and he stays in Jerusalem. Here he is having a meal with his disciples because he's not going to run away, because he's come here to die for them and for this woman. And nobody there knows what Jesus is about to do, and he he's still there to suffer. He's told his disciples three times that he's going to Jerusalem to die, to die, and nobody believes him. Jesus knows the cross is hours away on which he will suffer the wrath of God, taking God's punishment for the sins of his people. But no one else there knows this. No one knows he's going to die except Jesus. And Jesus knows one of his friends right there is going to make it happen. Even in this lowly crowd of nobodies, Jesus is alone, except for this woman. But it's not this woman's devotion to Jesus that saves her. It's Jesus' devotion to her that saves her. And though nobody knows Jesus' worth, Jesus is going to the cross to give up everything and to take every bit of our suffering on himself in order to give us everything I think like through his life, his death, his resurrection, he is going to pour out his love, his grace, his comfort on his people. He's going to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people. He's going to pour out every blessing of life eternal in his his glorious kingdom on his people who don't even know what it's worth. Another another beloved pastor, uh, uh, professor, friend of mine used to ask us, what does your salvation cost you? Nothing. It cost Jesus everything. So what does your salvation cost you? He would say, everything. Meaning, what is this salvation worth to you? Everything. Perfume does not come off easily. A little goes a long way. Even a little spritz will last you until whenever you wash it off. The woman pours a pound of nard all over Jesus, like a Coke can worth of rich smelling perfume all over Jesus. It's in his hair, it's in his beard, it's, you know, it's down his chest and his back, it's all the way down his legs to his feet and toes. Soon he is going to be arrested and locked up in jail. The next day he's going to the cross. And when Jesus is being tried and tortured and crucified, her perfume is still on him. Mixed in with all the sweat and all the blood and the smell of death, he is also smelling her devotion and her love for him. And as he he is gasping for breath and and his lungs fill with that fragrance and he's reminded of his love for her and for you. May Jesus' devotion to us give us that ultimate and constant lasting devotion to him. Let's pray. Father, we, we do, we 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 simply pray that Jesus' love, his unfailing devotion that is greater, infinitely greater, than what we could ever possibly fathom. We, we pray that what we are able to grasp by your grace, that it would that w- it would return, that it would work itself out in us in, in, in our return of our love and devotion to Jesus. And we pray this that we would do this together inspiring one another with the gospel to keep going, to keep going with Jesus, to love him because Jesus is worth everything to us and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.